0: This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. We are here live trying to do a show at the Glamping Show USA in Aurora, Colorado. Got a couple of people here to join us on the show. We're gonna talk about their businesses, all the kinds of things that are going on at the show. Obviously, Karen, my co-host behind me here, staggering on a picnic table. Later we might get adventurous and walk behind all those cool tents back there and see if we can really mess up the Wi-Fi signal that's barely hanging on by a thread. But Super excited to be here again. It's a record attendance levels. 1,400 people are here. I think 112 exhibitors or something like that, of which these people are part of those. And, and it's just amazing the amount of turnout and interest that is happening in the glabbing space overall. Kara, do you want to say anything, introduce anything before we introduce it to these people or toss them over to them? Or?
0: Introduce anything. No, I don't. Is there anything you want to I'm talk excited. about? I think I'm super excited to be here finally after years of, of missing out and Wishing that everybody I was here with everybody else. Come
1: on in, Zach. You're um, Zach,
0: you know? But it sounds like we will Canada will be getting more involved with the show in future years, which I'm super, super excited for. Onwards and upwards.
1: Awesome. Well let's go around. I'm gonna take this mic and just pass it around to everybody else and you just introduce yourself, talk about who you are.
2: Yeah, hi, I'm Connor Schwab super happy to be on the show. So thank you, Brian and Kara. I work at Sage Outdoor Advisory. We specialize in helping launching and expanding glamping businesses and outdoor resorts and anything else?
1: I don't know. I'm sure we'll, we got to pass these mics around. We don't have the fancy equipment anymore. So I'm sure we'll have more questions for you, Connor. But one of the big things I have, I guess for you is you've worked with KOA on this study that was presented, right? Whitney Scott presented and all that kind of stuff. Where do you get this data? And where We saw your presentation too. Kara was talking about it, right? Where do you, not where do you get the data, on where your secrets, right? But why is it so important? Why is there a void in the glamping industry for it?
2: Yeah, so we, we just did a presentation and it was called Bridging the Gap Between Outdoor Hospitality Projects and Investment. Yep. And we talked about how glamping in particular is so new and there's so much variety and it's so improving that many investors are hesitant to invest in something and if they see your projections and you're saying that you're going to charge 300 dollars a night for people to sleep in 10 they might scoff at that and so what we're trying to do is elevate the whole industry and start to track and curate data of all the successfully operating glamping businesses and make that publicly available so that when people are expanding or when they are launching a business they can point to this evidence in the market that hey these businesses are really succeeding and give some of that confidence to the investors
1: Awesome. I really want to dive into some of your statistics, but let's introduce everybody else here. First, we got Nick from Glampotech. Go ahead, Nick.
3: Hey, yeah, my name is Nick. I'm managing director of Glampotech North America. We've been operating, in, started in the UK in 2019, and we arrived in North America in July of this year. We hate, hope to just guide people through the process of starting a glamping business with a particular focus on the early stages of the zoning and permitting, and make sure they've got all the right zoning in place and set the very much what they might need to do. And then we can work with the likes of Zach uh, and Connor, whether it's for the the architectural stuff or the feasibility stuff, and just point people in the right direction and just help them through the whole process essentially.
1: And I was talking to you at your booth earlier, right? We did a, another separate article thing for modern Campground on you guys, but you were telling us how you rapidly expanded coming mm. from the middle East and from the UK. And so how does that information inform what you do here in
3: the US? Yeah. So, we've had, had the benefit of obviously working in the UK industry, which is like the most mature glamping market probably in the world. So we're able to see like what's happened over the years there and how that might inform what's going to happen in the US. But Ultimately I think because there's, there's so many different cultures and like just everything is different, like it's gonna go a different trajectory, but there's, there's certainly some parallels that we see as the industry will mature in this in the coming years as well. Awesome. Well, excited to talk to you too. Sasha is all the way here
1: from the UK from Devon. I knew it started with a D. <laughs> I'm bad with names, bad with cities, bad with everything, including hosting <laughs> podcasts.
4: Doing very great. well. So, so my name's Sasha Macy and I'm the owner of Yurts for Life. And we make yurts in Devon. They're the Kyrgyz design, which means we steam bend all the wood that makes the frame. We're a small company where we're growing fast. We've been going for 13 years. I took over the business eight years ago. So we've been doing this a while now. We know what we're doing and we're pretty good at it, actually. If I don't mean to blow my own trumpet. But it's really not me. It's the team. We've got, we're now up to 20 people. Five of us administrate it. And I've got 15 makers. I've got a canvas workshop and a wood workshop. And it's amazing. What my guys do is phenomenal.
1: And so we know London obviously has a very big lamping show that hopefully I'll get to next year just for a vacation in London, but also the show. What made you come all the way out here?
4: We, we've sold one yurt to a high net worth in the Hamptons. And we're just about to close a deal that's going to Virginia for about four yurts. And our traffic on our website and our inquiries have increased significantly over the last year and we've just been chatting with other suppliers and looking at what's going on in the states and i think this the whole point of us being here as a business is just to see if the american market like what we do so we're on a massive research mission meeting as many people as we possibly can just to see if they like our yurts and then we can maybe target this market specifically
1: so early returns on all the people subbing by your booth they like
4: I tell you what, it's been so lovely. We do have a very different product that's offered than what is offered already in the UK, in the U S and, people really like the craftsmanship, which is just an honor. I can't wait to get back to, to let the team know. So I think if the leads turn into sales and it's looking really positive, then we'll start to make waves over here. Awesome. Yeah.
5: Well, looking forward to talking to you more about that. Zach. My name is Zach Stoltenberg. I'm with Clockwork. We're an architecture and branding agency and I lead our outdoor hospitality studio. So we're based in Kansas City, but we do work all over the United States. Recently have a couple of international projects that we're starting, and we focus on clamping, camping, and RV resorts. For the last two and a half years, this is all I've done. I'm a licensed architect. I've got a team of five in our studio in Kansas City, but we take a very different approach. We really want to partner with our clients. We want to come on as a trusted advisor. We don't want to interject our own ideas. It's their vision for their resort, their Glam site. We're there to help them execute it, help make it better, introduce new ideas, new revenue streams, other ways that they can make money. And most, most all of our design work is done in full 3D. So you don't need to be an engineer. You don't need to have a a deep level of construction or anything to be able to understand what it's going to look like when it's done. And I think most of our clients really like that. And so the, the tools that we develop, um, are both in conjunction with groups like sage when they want to do a market analysis or feasibility studies how many units what type of units we help you figure that out and then we back and forth just because we can put 300 units on a site doesn't mean there's a market support for that so we kind of collaborate and make sure that what we're doing is what our clients want what their vision is what is financially smart to do and within the budget that that they're comfortable spending we are licensed in all the united states and so we we can also help you navigate some of that permitting and approval process. So if you got to go before planning and zoning commission and you don't want to get up and present that, that's what we do. So we'll go and we'll be your representative, we'll speak on your behalf and navigate that, that permitting and approval process.
1: So let's You want to talk briefly about the interplay between companies, outlook? So maybe like maybe start to finish, give us a quick example of what you're going building. work all three together.
2: Like I don't, not, Yeah, spot. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: yeah, so I've got the good fortune to work with both like that, that clockwork, and there there's some of the leaders in industry hands down. We're always lucky when we get to work on a project. Then a typical process for every site, but usually the first thing you want to do is zoning and planning, and that's where. Lampatech, Nick's team will come in and they're very well experienced in the UK and getting up to speak here in the US and help with that and all the questions and navigations that come with that. And then typically at that stage, we'll engage with clockwork or we'll start a feasibility study. Usually they'll happen in tandem. And so what we come in is look at your offering, your property, what's affordable on the property, what's affordable in the market. And then we'll work with SACT, find things like budget, what's feasible with the land We'll go back and forth until we find a unit mix and offering that makes the most sense custom to into your location. So we we've all collaborated collaborated on several projects, and it's been pretty incredible to see like what's coming to life through So what do you think?
3: maybe the two of nip- them changes with all three of you together. I think you get the benefits of experts coming from all fields, particularly with Sage and Clockwork quite work all together. It's not just Sage doing the feasibility part work, doing the design, it's collaborating on that. We can do some initial due diligence as well. And that's sort of feed it. of to, to the architectural work later on. And it's just that collaboration. For example, we could bring in a client and we could be the point of contact. And if we can't answer a question that we can pass on to the people who can, and, uh, be it's collaborating across the whole project is you get all the benefits of that, you know, so whole group never, as opposed to just, okay, we're going to use this company. So now we're going to use that, this or that. The one is, is on the same page and, and bringing each other up throughout the whole process.
5: Yeah, I I think the other thing, the benefit that you have is we're, we're all specialized in what we do. We're experts. You wouldn't just call any general contractor to build a swimming pool for you. You're going to call a pool builder, a pool company. That's what they do. And I think this is definitely a niche industry, but I like to think that we're trying to be the best that we can be in, in this niche industry. And I think most of our clients recognize that. We don't really do any marketing or advertising. The majority of the phone calls I get. We get three to four calls a week about new resorts. The majority of the people that I work with have been referred to us either by a client that we've worked with previously or one of our partnerships, one of the the people that we do a lot of work with. And there's a level of comfort and trust and mutual respect in that, that we all serve an important role in there. And it really allows us each to focus on specifically what we do. You, as a, as an architect, I can Design and create beautiful things. But if it's not on your budget and it doesn't work with your finances, it doesn't matter how pretty it is because you're not gonna be able to build it. If your jurisdiction says that's not allowed in this zoning type and we won't allow you to rezone it or you can do it, but we're gonna drag it out for two years and it's gonna cost a hundred thousand dollars. It doesn't matter what I design because we can't build it there. We can't do it. So I think that the benefit that Working as a group and working in those areas of expertise, it makes all of us better at what we do. And ultimately it serves our client better. And I think a lot of people struggle in the beginning, especially because everything we do costs money. There's a fee that's there with it. And I've worked with clients that were two years in to trying to start their clamping business. And they tried to navigate the county permitting process and get through planning and zoning on their own. And kept running into roadblocks and nobody will give me a straight answer. And I don't know. And they say they're going to vote on it next month. And then that gets delayed and then it gets tabled. And, and so I think really working with professionals, that that's what we do. It's going to cost something to work with them, but in the long run, you're going to save a lot more time and money. If you struggled to do it on your own for two years, how much, how many bookings could you have taken in that two year period? What's the revenue that was lost? By trying to bootstrap this and do it all yourself, and I think we're all really flexible. We work one-on-one with our clients. Every every project, every client is different; it's unique, and we really right-size what we do to to each specific project because not everything applies each time.
1: I think that was my goal with asking. It's just the down to build up because I understand understand value. A lot of people watch this show that are entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, for sure. By, and I go and out the design, I hire out the feasibility, I hire all the studies, but how I to do social media. I was the marketing guy, which is me. So I understand the. coming. From. I yeah. A guy does. Here's what really was key to all the things
3: that made do count. Well.
5: Yeah, and we do a lot of work with existing resorts. And back to that, each one's unique. Those owners know their property better than anybody else. They know what they're doing well. They know what their missed opportunities are. They know what their pain points are. And we come in and we listen. That, I, t- I think that's probably the biggest difference because I think everybody's worked with an architect at some point And a lot of them have really bad experiences and bad impressions. And we really pride ourselves on listening to our client and being responsive to them and their specific needs and what they want to do. At
1: what point do you look at work? Is it all part of this? have?
5: What one thing suppliers actually, Nick, do you want to start with yeah, that one?
3: I think we probably all have to consider one thing i do is to be part with that sort of space. I like, get yeah, on a Zoom call with a client, just one for each of our manufacturers. Yeah, we, we're not interested. Let's say we make a small connection from passing on to one of our actual manufacturing parts. we're not bothered about just just showing them to, to our part. We want to make sure, all right? Uh, He's getting exactly what they want, so we walk through a president call, half an hour. They meet for temp. these guys make sense to like these to write these, um, and then once again, sets what the client really likes, we'll be able to, to make those into culture, make sure they're well, yeah. like, so I just keep it to that process. Then, so we can help with whether it gets pass on to, to Connor or something. Remember, as long as we're still in touch with the process, uh, we trust the that they're working, um, and then we talk to so, uh, Sasha. Two years, uh, I think there's a bit of a as you said, uh, the growing
1: you bond, three years, yeah, eight
4: years. Yes.
1: So how do you evolve to change your product based on consumer needs or wants? Is that a, is that a custom per client thing? Is it a little five people ask for it? That's a for it.
4: Each of the structures we make bespoke to what the client requires. A very easy one to explain is each year comes with a local front door, but when you site it on your sites or your campsites, that doorway where you could potentially get a view is actually where the prevailing weather is going to come in. So you need to orientate that yurt so that obviously when you open the door, the rain and the wind and all the leaves don't blow in, but actually you've got a stunning view down that way So I actually want to put a window there. So that's just an example of an easy fix that we can help with clients when it comes down to the minutia and the detail. From experience of this show and also from exhibiting in the UK and with our UK clients is that we get a lot of people who come direct to us who say, we want to open a campsite site and we want yurts. And the first question I ask them is, who's coming to stay? Who's coming to stay at your glamp site? Who's, who are you going to share your land with? And they say, oh, it doesn't matter. We're going to have couples and families. And I say, are you a couple? Are you a family? Do you understand what a family's needs are? Do you understand what a couple needs when they go away on holiday? And what we're finding a lot is that because glamping in terms of the word is quite new, a lot of the general public who are looking for to get into glamping, maybe do a little side hustle at home with an Airbnb, they're very focused on structure. And actually they need to wind it right back and start at the beginning and go, who am I going to share my land with? And this is where Connor provides the information at a high level to say 80% of people will spend this much money in your area. And then from that, you can extrapolate and almost name the people who are going to come, do a, a profile on them. They're mountain bikers, right? Okay. I need to make sure there's a mountain bike rack. On the site and details like that but until you get to the point where you've got that knowledge you've got what permits you need and you've got a design of where that's all going to fit it, it's once you know who's coming to stay what structures you pick just falls out it's really straightforward because the mountain bikers don't want to be in a cabin they want to sleep under the stars immediately you need a canvas product or a canvas structure for example so it's really interesting to see how you guys are doing because i get a lot of people come direct and i need to be able to almost re-educate and train them. And I might do myself out of a sale, but I'd rather that than just sell them a year and it's not right. That's sort
5: of- Yeah. I, and to add, that's a great point. And it's the same approach we take. Everything we do is driven by guest experience. And. I think it's unique maybe for us because we're an architecture firm and a branding agency. Our first question to our clients is, what do you want this to be? What's the look and feel? What's the guest experience that you want to deliver? Who is that person that's yeah. staying at your resort?
4: Vegan you life? Um, who do you want to put up with? Right. Day in, day out. Right. Yeah.
5: Because the way you brand your resort and your business and your company needs to be intertwined with your unit types and your architecture on your site and your logo and your website and the little note card that's on their pillow when they check in, all of it has to be consistent that you're delivering that end guest experience that you want. And to Connor's point, if we're out there and we're pursuing a top tier, high-end clientele, our target is 300 to $400 a night. Um, that's a very different unit type. There. You're not going to hit those price points if your unit doesn't have a full bathroom in it. If you don't have a pool on your site, if you don't have amenities, if you want to just put up a basic tent with a, a king or queen-sized bed in it, and they need shoes and a flashlight to go use the, the bathroom at night, that's a $100 to $120 a night price range, and it's a totally different clientele. You're going to lose 80% of your market that says... I won't stay, or my wife won't come and stay with me unless there's a bathroom in the unit. So it's
4: also sorry, it's also looking at a sustainable business model. Yeah, because it's really hard to sell a night to a new person every time. Yeah. So if you're if you've got a cohesive vision and and a brand, then it's the difference between getting a return customer and then recommending their friends. And you don't want to just open a glam site for a year. It's hard enough as it is. You want people to come back. And when you've got these three guys collaborating to get the detail at the beginning sorted, the rest of the business kind of follows on and it'll work.
3: I think that's the general theme that's really important as well is just don't rush headfirst into this. It's so important to just take a step back and think about whether it's the design, the market <laughs> On our side, the zoning and affirmative side, like, We've done reports where clients ask us to look at the zoning rules in that jurisdiction, and it's pretty much impossible that bit. They just won't be able to do it in that jurisdiction or in their zoning district. And so just speaking to someone like Ozzy or Zach or Connor, and just letting us pose those questions to you, because we don't expect you to know all the questions to ask, uh, because you've never done this before. Whereas people who have done it before know that, know the common issues that come up every time, and then we can actually have you checked your zoning or was your target guest, was saying, and cetera what you Insurance. Yeah, insurance. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that, environment, endangered species, wetland, <laughs> yeah. You won't, you won't, yeah. You won't, if you've never done it before, you won't know that's going to be an issue. And so just speaking to the right people, even if it's a 10-minute chat, to allow them to pose you the question, but then you think, okay, this might be a little bit more challenging than I thought. I might need to go and speak to this person about that. And so the general theme of just making sure that you actually stop and pause and speak to the, the right people is really important, I think, when you're going into a process like <laughs> it. So I'm really curious about the data, Connor, a little bit,
1: right? And I'm sure you guys can expand upon your thoughts on that stuff. But you have your whole presentation memorized,
2: right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so share a little bit about what kind of stuck out to you. But this study
2: kind of surprised you, or what? I'll probably share probably the two most interesting to your audience, and that's what came up in in the data for us, and a couple. So one is for it in the US, 95% of legitimately big businesses in the US have been operating for less than 10 years. That just shows how new the spaces, how uneducated customers are, how uneducated investors are. That's what we're here to help. And we're here to educate users, consumers, investors. So a couple of trends that we noticed was across 700 units that we tracked nightly rates in the US, we saw that units that had a private bathroom included in them. If you did not, it was coming in across the U.S. around $200 a night. And if you had a bathroom, it was coming in at about three might well, maybe 75% more to put a bathroom in. Maybe in the first three years, it it you, it will be hard with that upfront investment. But if you're looking at a five, 10 year time horizon, that bathroom that costs 10 to 20,000 is going to pay off. The second most interesting piece of information was food and beverage service, and basically. know what the data told us again, across 700 unit types across the U.S. What we tracked the locations that were offering full food and beverage service, offering free meals, dinner, maybe drinks, we noticed that those units were charging twice as much. So if you're only offering breakfast or coffee and tea or no food at all, we saw those nightly rates coming in around 200 and you were offering prepared meals. Those would go for around 400 on average. And so. What that tells me is that when customers are planning a clamping trip where they can relax and it can be an easy trip where they don't have to worry about much, they don't have to think about buying groceries or where their next meal is going to come from on your site. That's a massive value that they're willing to pay twice as much. And I think
0: it adds to the, sorry, I think it adds to the experience offering too from the consumer side where now you get to potentially try food you don't normally or whatever. Can you clarify that that? higher ADR is exclusive of the food and beverage cost that they're paying for food and beverage separately from that accommodation. Yeah.
2: So that's not inclusive. So yes, we'll then pay the meals on top of the night. Right?
1: Awesome. I'm really curious what you got. So how does this work logistically, right? Because we've got glamping places that are in the middle of nowhere, right? With no infrastructure, no sewer, no nothing. So obviously some of that is part of the feasibility, but if they want to offer food and beverage, is this something they have to put in those facilities on
5: site? Do they bring in a catering company? What is your, No, you know it's general and specific, but so, yeah. It, it, it <laughs> yeah. really depends. A couple examples I'll give. We've looked at, we're working with a client on a property that has no utilities available. So it is completely off grid. All of our power is solar. Water is hauled onto the property. Waste is hauled off. And we're looking at for both ease, the, the operations and management, as well as what we're allowed to do from a zoning perspective. Because if you want to put a commercial kitchen in, it's now it's a commercial venture that building becomes a commercial structure. We need full design drawings, plans, engineered plans. We got to go through the health department to make sure that meets all the health requirements It has to be inspected and we need a lot more staff. So that, that changes the dynamic immensely. And so for this property, we're looking at pretty much solely prepackaged things that we can order, we can store on site. We've got some coolers, some refrigerators, and even that, the the county was, it's not a convenience store, right? This is just for guests. It's not for somebody going down the highway that's going to pull off and stop and buy something, right? No, this is just for our guests. So there's some of those questions that come up on that. We have a property that we worked with in, in North Carolina, very remote, about 30 miles to the closest town. Not a lot of other dining options in the area. And that was a huge need that they identified both on the property, but even the county gave feedback. They said, gosh, if you guys are going to do food, all the locals everywhere up and down the river from you, they're all going to be there. And so we started looking into doing that. And one of the challenges of being in the county and not in an incorporated city area, we found out it's a dry county, we can't get a liquor license. And we found out that the cost to build a kitchen and do some of the full food service that we wanted to do was over $250,000. And it would have just blown our budget. But we found a food truck that we could buy that was $60,000. And the food truck has to be registered to a curtilage or a main address. And we were able to locate that curtilage main address within one of the city boundaries that did issue liquor licenses. So sometimes we have to get creative. Another property that we looked at, they said, we really want to stay more primitive and simple. We've got grills in all the sites. People want to sit around a campfire. We don't want a restaurant or anything. So the idea that we recommended through coming through the visioning and their look and feel and their brand, we said, what about a meal kit? We could order in food, keep it very simple, hot dogs, steaks hamburgers, get the sides, get everything, and we put it in a little styrofoam cooler. So these get made up ahead of time, they get stored. And when those guests check in, they pick up their meal kit. So when they book their night, they can book one of five different meal kit options. And we looked into even like doing a, like a HelloFresh or some company, that's what they do. And just ordering those in and keeping them on site. And that way it's available to our guests if they want it. It doesn't require much additional effort from the staff side, it's not a lot of setup. It doesn't take up a lot of storage space or room, but it allows them to have a better guest experience on site. And so that there's always different options, and sometimes we have to get a little, a little more creative with our solution. of
1: things
4: you that? Yeah, sure. I think. We're quite foodie in the UK and even though we're a very small island, each county or area has a lot of artisan food products and what quite a lot of our glampsite site owners or Airbnb side hustlers do is they will create a little food hamper from all the local ingredients, you know, cheese with some crackers or something like that and that works really well. It's a lovely little upsell. Again, going back to who you're sharing your land with, at certain points if your clients are Coming in from the city, and they've got screaming kids, and they're driving five hours to get to you because of whatever reason. And they get to their structure, a nice bucket with a bottle of Prosecco and a couple of glasses, and then a little side unit on your glamping structure where you can just chuck the kids and they can go to bed because they're knackered, and then they can relax. That's a great touch, and that's a return customer because they're like oh they totally get me they totally get what I need so that's those are quite quick easy wins but you must know who's coming so you know what to provide for them
0: I'm curious Sasha I heard and I hope this is a rumor but no. I heard that you used to work
4: or maybe still do in the education program
0: and do an outdoor like an environmental classroom
4: yeah How yeah has
0: that impacted your ability to know your customer and this business more kind of losing your structures in a completely different industry?
4: Oh, it's amazing. The world of Yurts is fascinating that the people I meet and my potential clients and my clients are just, they're brilliant. They've all got, They think way beyond just the norm. It's fantastic. We've got a lot of schools, particularly nursery schools, who have the government supports not there because of the times. And they've managed to rustle up enough money, maybe through a a parent teacher association fundraiser, something like that. And they've got a yurt as a classroom. And particularly for kids who are special needs, they've got ADHD, they've got problems socially, they learn manners because they can all talk in a circle and they can all see each other's eyes and the teacher they can stop talking because the teacher's talking because they can see the teacher's talking when you're educated in a square or a rectangle in a normal classroom of what we understand all it's chaos for the kids who can't sit down and not fidget for five minutes so it they're quite special spaces around spaces it's very cool i was going to mention about sustainable businesses and i look at my multi-structure sites that we've provided yurts for we've got a couple of really big ones in norway that have got 15 16 structures on and a couple in the uk now and the way they've managed to be sustainable is that it's not glamping for glamping's sake just because you put up a crazy looking structure and you might offer them a a lovely hamper of local foods doesn't mean to say they're going to come back It's a lot of work and effort before the pandemic in the UK for people going to go glamping or Google searching for wanting to know where to go. The site had to have a good view. It had to have a hot tub and it had the, the possibility of bringing their dog. So those were three key areas for the UK market for people to book. So if you could hit two out of three, your occupancy rate was going to be a lot higher. What we're noticing now, obviously, we've had the blip of the pandemic where glamping has gone off the scale. Because everyone just wants to get outside and be together. That's going to calm down and go away. You need something else apart from going glamping to do. An outside activity that the successful businesses that we support, they've got mountain biking. They've got lakes to paddleboard on. They've got a a, a giant yurt, one of them, which is 10 meters in diameter, where they have all of their sports and activity briefings. And off they go. Windsurfing, sailing hiking bouldering whatever it might be they're very sporty ones it might be that you might be a spa retreat or something like that where there is no wi-fi there is no mobile phone and you're really targeting who am i sharing my land with for people who want to get out of this city and relax and stretch and breathe you it needs more than just i'm going glamping so I'd, I'd really recommend that for people who are looking to get into it
1: can you talk about the data some of the things that guests are looking for Covered. <laughs> There's a
0: lot. Here's a law. <laughs> and
1: if you
2: want to see this, go to Terraform to see the report. The activation, big thing that people are looking for is campfires and experience some sort of outdoor experience, whether it's hiking, mountain biking, and kind of being pointed in the right direction to enjoy those things. And then other amenities, whether that be a pool or something more specific, like horseback riding that's nearby. There's a lot of things that you can do. And I think some of the businesses that are succeeding very well are highlighting their sustainability. They're a business where that's their core focus, like under canvas is great example of that, or their renewable energy sites, low flow showers. They're very conscientious about their footprint of the environment and they let their guests know about that and, and people have really resonated with them. One of the most successful companies in the space ever. And that's a kind of a core pillar of their identity. Both activities and what Sasha was saying about educating people and connecting them back to the land and the natural landscape are big wins.
1: One of the other things that stood out to me about our presentation was things people don't want. So what shocked you about those? Can
2: you jog my memory?
1: I think she said if you take out the camping audience, that hiking drops down as a wish list, right?
0: Back to knowing who you're sharing.
1: Back to knowing who, yeah, back to knowing you're sharing land with. I think she said there there was like a percentage of 16% who didn't want like craft cocktails, but then 24% did and 40% thought it would be nice. Just things that you wouldn't expect people to not put a priority on, but I don't, yeah. Other than that, if you don't remember, I don't remember. Top five not
0: needed. Craft cocktails, happy hour, planned and staff-led recreation activities wellness services, like massages, Reiki, and yoga, and a dog park. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay, that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah.
5: Uh, a
1: bit surprising, to be yeah. honest. What surprises you most?
0: I think
2: that really goes back to what Zach was saying It's and, and Sasha's. Who is your customer? What's your brand? Who are you attracting? Because a family that's coming with kids probably doesn't have any interest in cocktails or a spa. Well, they might be very interested in a pool or like, orienteering or a playground or whatever it might be so i think really identifying your customer is what is going to affect that
0: sorry we keep saying it we always say it and i'm going to play devil's advocate which is normally brian's job but as a as an operator we can say that all we want but how do we before we even start the business identify who our customer is i feel like you guys are the pros.
5: i think the one word that keeps jumping into my mind as i listen to all of this is authenticity people today when we look at the two largest demographics that are leading outdoor hospitality spending so who's staying at an rv park who is buying new rvs who's going glamping um, by a, a landslide is millennials and gen z So it's younger people, which is why over half of them have families and kids. And to Connor's point, if I'm going, I have, I'm married. I'm a dad. I've got four kids. When we travel, it it is chaos. (laughs) I want to get out of that car. So do my kids. The two things I want when I pull into a place is readily available bathrooms because everybody has to go and a place where my kids can run and burn off some steam. Yeah. My wife and I are probably not going to go down for craft cocktails and if we're Already traveling with the circus, I'm not tossing the two dogs in on top of that. Some of those things make sense, but I think all of these, you can talk through the questions and it it all goes back to a sense of realism, of authenticity. Our lives were surrounded by digital media and talking heads and agendas and people crafting a very specific facade. And I think one of the things that sets camping and glamping apart is, and and the reason that people are willing to spend $300 a night for a unit is they want a hosted experience. If I'm just looking for accommodations and the bottom dollar is still my best bet, Super 8, Motel 6, Holiday Inn, Hilton, Hyatt, they're all doing it. They're doing a very good job with it. And they're all going to be cheaper than the Lapping Resort. So why do people want that? They want the hosted experience. They want, as an example, we're staying at a hotel out here. We came down to the desk. I said, where's a good place to eat around here? She goes, there's, I think, a Ruby Tuesdays across the parking lot. And that's the typical response you get in a hotel. when you're staying at a glamping resort and you go down to your host and you say, we're hungry. What kind of food do you like? You know, this, they're qualifying you. They're searching for the right place to recommend. We've got this amazing barbecue place. The owners are friends of mine. They do an incredible job. If you want to try it out, I'll call them and make a reservation for you guys. That's the difference. And that's that guest experience. If you're driving by guest experience, there's, it's the same end result, right? You're helping a guest find a place to eat for the night. It's a little more effort on the glamping piece, but it's such an incredible improvement on the guest experience. And they're, they're leaving there with that sense of realism of authenticity, of a relationship, of a connection. And it's, it is the reason to come back mm. and stay again. It's that person genuinely cared about us yeah, and, and they're
0: nice, but like, we have right, a connection with yes, yeah.
5: and they took care of us, they hosted us. That's what gets you the five star, 80 word reviews on your website. It's that difference, and they're going to come back because you were real and you delivered something unexpected, unique, yes, Just
4: glamping it, yes. yes.
5: So I, I think that authentic experience, something that's not curated, something that's the, the example I give, and I'm probably going to piss off some people. So I apologize in advance. Um, my least favorite, in, and I see it in so many different glamping resorts. They're like, oh, we have a s'mores kit. Talk about minimal effort, right? I put a chocolate bar, some graham crackers and two marshmallows in a Ziploc bag, and I charge $12 for it. Give it to them. If you need to charge $12 extra for the room, roll it into the room price. That's the difference between a hosted, sensitive, authentic experience and a commercial entity, right? Like when I stay at the hotel, if I take the little bottle of liquor, they're going to charge it to my room. I get it. But I think glamping, we we should have a higher level of expectation. If you want s'mores, I want, I'll come down. I'll start your fire. I'm bringing a platter that has all the fixings on it. I'll come and clean it up when you guys go to bed. Don't worry about it. Just leave it on the table. And so I think that's the key thing I keep coming back to is on authentic experience, something that's real that people can really latch on to and build that relationship with the host and come back and try a different unit, try some new kind of accommodation.
2: Yeah. So to build on what Zach was saying, and you brought up a great point is, we might have this data that says, oh, your private bathrooms will get you $150 more or food and beverage. Well, it, it all, you can win in every market and really run a successful business. And I think it all starts with self and it's what's hosting is storytelling. And it's like, what's the story of you and what's the story of your property and how can you connect guests with that? And I think we're, Typically, people are going to do a much better job of hosting an experience they can relate to, whether that's a family with kids or it's a couple who's wanting to go for a romantic getaway. Both of those options can be very successful. And we worked on this incredible project with Zach in North Georgia. And it was a a couple who'd been in hospitality. They wanted to do something special. And the wife was from Japan. And so one of the things that Zach did a great job was like including some cultural heritage uh, in that and it was a storyboard a memory board and basically it was on this beautiful overlook platform where you could see three states and then on it was this traditional japanese board where you take of wood and good guests write about them like a gratitude or something that they wanted to manifest or a good memory and then they could put it on the board they would collect those over the year and so that is just talk about something that you'll remember and talk about being connected with the land and with the hosts and that unique special piece that's gonna bring that guest back. And they're definitely gonna tell their friends about it.
3: Yeah. I think that's, this is gonna get more and more important as the market matured as well, because. At the minute, you probably can just put like a few tents up and make really good money and make your money back quickly. But in in ten years time, when there's a whole hell of a lot more competition, the markets are more mature, expectations are raised. It might be in five years time, guests just won't stay at all in sites without ensuite bathrooms, kind of thing. If you're looking to enter the market now, absolutely look at okay, how's it going to look now? But how's it going to look in ten years? And what can we do to, to separate ourselves from the competition in 10 years time. And that's the kind of thing where it's like that personal experience, the guest that the host such that's going to set you apart and keep you protected from saturation a little
0: bit. Yeah.
4: I was just going to back you up on that and just say that a lot of people come and talk to us and say, I need a yurt that will sleep two people. And I need a yurt that sleeps four people. And I asked them why I want to offer for the couples and I want to offer the families and I said, so what's your situation? Oh, I'm a couple. So you get couples. Why are you opening up to families when you don't have children? Do you know all the extra stuff you need to provide for a family? Oh, it's fine. We just need to make sure we get lots of money in. You're not going to be great at what you do if you go down that route. Really niche it. Get into there. So you totally differentiate from everybody else because the market, like you say, is going to get mature. It's going to get busy and you need to be different. So we don't fight with our potential clients, but we do say, you know, So what do you need for a baby of six months and and a toddler? What extra kit have you got to supply? And when those couples are there having a romantic getaway with the hot tub and all that kind of Prosecco stuff, and then there's screaming kids next door, these guys aren't coming back. And your business needs to be sustainable over a number of years or whatever your business plan is. So it's really getting down to, to knowing the market, who's coming to stay.
3: I I, I think it as well. But you have got to be brave as well. So, if if you do niche down, like you're saying, how let's say you shut off the the idea of families coming in UK only, that can be quite scary because you're instantly cutting off a huge potential swathe of the market. You've got to make make those brave decisions, otherwise, you will be just left in the dust in ten years' time when there are a million sites offering couples only. Um, um, Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
4: You'll never get anywhere.
3: and I've spoken to site owners, particularly in the UK as well, that there are people who say no dogs allowed, which again, cuts off a lot of the market, but the people who don't like dogs know that they're catered for. And when they've had that experience without dogs, or there's another site who caters specifically for people with additional needs, like all of the, all their, all their units are on ramps and wide doorways. And again, it's a brave decision, but they know that the, the, the people who come and stay and, and book with them, they know that they're specifically catered to looked after. They will tell all their friends who have additional needs as well. And so their customer retention rate is insanely high because they cater to that specific niche. Uh, and they wouldn't have that if they just had your generic site that just caters to everybody.
0: Sorry, I'm gonna shift it a tiny bit. So speaking of the market aging and talking about 10 years from now and, and all of those things, I have spoken with many vendors yesterday and today who keep saying compared to last year and the year prior, years prior at this show. They're starting to see a shift in the demographic of attendees who are farther down the road. They've, maybe in 2019, they were just really just looking and getting their feet wet and not sure what this was all about. And now, a couple years later, acquired property, they're now looking for unit types. Are you guys, I haven't asked you individuals this, are you guys seeing attendees so far and how does that impact the way you communicate with them at this show and then going forward. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Just to clarify so I don't know what you're talking about. It's is the market being saturated and do you have more competition? Is that
1: no. oh. oh it's the people who are here who already own land or are already re- ready to operate versus just thinking about it. Yeah. Are you Oh well let us
2: <laughs>
0: sorry are you I'm I'll clarify. Are you seeing a shift in the demographic That speaks to the growth of the industry because so many more operators are farther down the road. They've acquired, they're serious now. They've done maybe some of the initial consulted stuff and are ready to go.
5: Yeah, so I would say, especially in our business of doing resort design, resort development, and redevelopment, we work with a lot of existing campgrounds that want to revamp or update or Maybe that 10 acres next door finally became available when they purchased it and they want to expand. I think for us, yes, a year ago, two years ago, we had a lot of tire kickers. We had a lot of people who were here to learn and soak up and had some thoughts about maybe we'll do this and we're just trying to learn everything we can, but weren't real viable as far as absolutely we're ready to go. Although two of the best projects that, that Connor and I've done over the last year, we met both of them here at the Glam Pig Show. But I would say, I think this year, the biggest change I've noticed is, yes, there are more people who are more serious, who have incredible sight, and in some cases, even have some money. They have an investor or a partner or somebody that's a local bank that's working with them. It's definitely seen an increase in those. The other thing I think that I'm seeing a lot of just professionally is a lot of interest from what I'll call periphery industries. All of my RV parks are interested in glamping tents, yurts. park. The park models have been done, several even major national brands have been very successful with their park models, but it's not the same thing. It's not a unique guest experience. I can stay in a KOA camp at any KOA in the country. It's not something I'm gonna post photos on Instagram of, whereas a beautiful hand-steamed bent yurt top, that's my selfie spot. That's, I'm gonna put that on, Facebook and Twitter and everything, let all my friends know this incredible place I stay. And so I think we're starting to see more interest from traditional hospitality and from the RV industry, looking at how do I get, get into glamping and how do we do it? And I think some industries, you look at Teramore, it's a, a great example. That's KOA, but that was KOA saying, we've done RV, we've done campground. We're going to do this glamping thing and we're going to do it right. And the overwhelming response to what they've done is incredible, and they are doing it right. But even a couple of weeks ago at the Lodging Con, where you're talking about most of the major hospitality, hotel play, and these are the money people behind some of these major brands, the people that make the decisions about where those companies are headed. And for the first time ever, they hosted a glamping panel at the lodging conference. And these breakout sessions, these panels, they usually get 30, 40, maybe 50 people. They had 350 people in the breakout session for glamping. So I think that's one thing I think we're seeing more of in the future. I still think the core of glamping and staying true to that authentic experience, a hosted experience is small operations, individual sole proprietors, single owners, partners. But I think eventually those are gonna start getting bought up. And so some of those folks are starting this with an exit strategy in mind. We're gonna build this, we're gonna build two or three or five sites And then yes, I'd love to sell it and not work anymore and retire. And so I think we're, as the industry sort of evolves, we're going to start to see more of that kind of corporate takeover, some of those smaller sites, which is only going to make the individual sites more valuable. But I think RV is a really good example. Like when you see what's happened with RV where there used to be tons of campgrounds and now we have KOAs and Jellystones and they still do a great job and they deliver sometimes better better amenities than a small campground could do. And they are catering to families and kids and they know what those targets are and they're well-funded and they're able to really deliver a good guest experience. But I think we're going to see something similar in the clamping industry. And I'm seeing it with our inquiries where we're getting a lot more real estate developers and people that are coming from traditional hospitality backgrounds and saying, how do we start to get a foothold in this market?
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. We're seeing, you know, that, that as well, real estate, higher end, big money, big dollars, hotels coming in, trying to figure it out. Eventually Marriott's going to figure it out. They're going to have a brand and then they're going to scale it. And it's going to. Like yeah. As a test. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but it's quickly going to go to four or 500 locations all over the world. Yeah, if Marriott is. figures out how to scale it. And so I, I think that some, of my interest too is yes and support brands through the data and the services you guys provide it's some of our biggest clients at our marketing company because we focus on those analytics and the things that the smaller operators don't know exist or how important they are but they're there and available to them google analytics is free it's a base entrance right but a lot of people don't even know that exists because they're so focused on their business they're just mom and pops and so i think that by having these conversations, by talking to you people, by, by having this show that we're democratizing a little bit of this knowledge and bringing the value to everybody so that then they can make an informed choice, right? Maybe I want to come to you and because and it, it is possible, it's possible to compete with an Amazon. I can do SEO just like Amazon can. I can't get the backlinks, <laughs> but still, if you have the knowledge, if you're willing to spend because you understand the value and you have a concrete plan and a good team behind you. Hospitality is universal. Yeah, that's it. But you have to, again, as we've discussed, provide the hospitality on the ground, meet the expectations that you're setting. And then that's when the people are going to come back. Any last thoughts? We've got a couple minutes before we wrap up.
4: When I first took over Yurts for Life eight years ago, I looked around the marketplace. And obviously, the the company had been going for five years. And I was getting vibes. And a lot of people were telling me that glamping was done and there was a bit of a downturn at the time in the UK and it was I was like oh my god what have i done this is insane but over the 8 years that i've been doing this now the people do change we're finding in the UK when we go to these expos and we're talking to people and the, and the inquiries we're getting people are much more educated they know what glamping is they know what they want they understand the sharing your land thing but we also still have a lot of people who are new to it and we as suppliers, as what you do, Connor, what you do, Nick, and what you do, Zach, we've still got to be open to these beginners. And a big word in the UK is diversification. We're having all sorts of political chaos in the UK at the moment, and our economy's all over the place, I think quite similar to the US. But there's a lot of talk about landowners needing to earn money at hand. We don't have the same agricultural support from the EU anymore because we're not in the EU. So we've got to diversify. We've got to think about, what can we do on our land to generate and that's one of the things where glamping kind of fills that hole and i can see the rv parks diversifying into glamping because they've got loads of space just need to be really careful how they do that because obviously the markets don't mix so well and if there's a solar farm and they've got a spare 10 acres they can diversify into glamping there's so many ways you can do it as long as you've got the landscape and it looks right and you've got the marketing piece that the Glampus want so it's a really interesting space and I think probably with the U.S. side what I'm seeing from being here over the last few days is there's still people who just don't know about it and they need educating and it's our job to do that yeah yeah but it's fun, and it's exciting, and I can see the US taking off exponentially compared with the UK because it's just so much bigger.
1: All right, I'm gonna let you guys get back to your booths. Thank you for joining me during a, a trade show. Lunch is over in in a minute. so If you want to run back in and, and talk to everybody, that's fine. But I really appreciate you guys joining us, Zach. It's great to meet you for the first time, Sasha, Nick, Connor. Hopefully, you guys will yeah. Hopefully, you guys will join us again on a future show. Maybe we can talk about that because um, I feel like we could have this conversation ongoing for yeah for hours. So, all right. Thank you guys i really appreciate you tuning in we're going to end this and then we'll see you guys uh, next week on our next episode all right take care guys
0: thanks for watching this episode of mc fireside chats hosted by brian searle and kara sismadia have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode, an episode? email us at hello at moderncampground.com. join us next week for another episode And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.